Uh, good morning. Uh, we are uh, continuing our 30 Days to Live series, as Pastor Colton uh, mentioned. And uh, I've been really enjoying preaching this series. There's, there's something about uh, living with the end in mind that really helps me focus uh, my current uh, life, my current decisions, uh, prioritize my life in a certain way, and I hope that you've experienced that as well, uh, particularly as we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you haven't joined us yet, we got seven days left. Do seven days of prayer and fasting. You're welcome to join us. Uh, and the whole idea of fasting, uh, again, is to give up something that we're hungry and thirsty for to focus on our greatest hunger and thirst, uh, which is to know God. And so it, it allows us to let go of something in order to more intentionally focus uh, on Jesus. And so we would invite you to join us into that and then to, to come tonight for an extended time of prayer and worship uh, together. 30 days to live. Often uh, what keeps us from living the life that we want to live, that we feel called to live, uh, there's a number of things, but fear is one of the greatest things. And, and hopefully uh, you have confronted some fears over this four-week series. This is the concluding message of the four-week series. The first Sunday, even to go back, I, I challenged uh, you to think about what fear do you need to confront in order to step into the future that God's inviting you into. Because there's no way to step into the future that God has for us if, without confronting fears. If it was easy, everybody would live the life that they were called to live. But it's not. Often we, we need to step through our fears. And sometimes it's scary, and so we, we, we create walls, you know, we want to be safe, right? So we, we create kind of a fortress, a, a fortress to be safe. We, we create security. We, we, we have comfort. And, and we, we build our lives with security and comfort and safety, thinking that that can kind of keep anything bad from ever happening to us. But, but what ends up happening when we do that is we're actually building a prison, Fear builds us a prison. It promises you safety and comfort, but what, what you end up experiencing is a prison. You feel stuck. You feel like you can't live the life that you, you probably know you're called to live. And it's never too late to become what you might have been. It's never too late to become what you might have been. And though none of us can go back and have a brand new start, any one of us can start now and have a brand new ending. And that's what the series is about. Living with the end in mind. On your tombstone, there's going to be two numbers. Like we talked about week one, there's going to be two numbers. The day you're born and the day you die. And you have no control over those two numbers. But what you do have control over is how you live with the dash in between those two numbers. What are you doing with the dash? You know, someday I'll do that. Someday I'll be that. Someday I'll fix that. Someday I'm going to make that relationship right. Or someday I'm going to pour more time into these most important uh, relationships in my life. Why can't that someday be today? Now, some of you might be asking, you know, I'm not sure what God's plan is for, for my life. And, and there's a simple test that you can do to find out if God has a plan for your life. You guys ready for this? Everyone take your hand. This is a fool, foolproof test if God has a plan for your life. Okay. Put it in front of your mouth. Do you, do, do you feel breath coming on your hand? How many of you guys feel breath on your hand? Okay, put up your hand. Okay. That, that, that is a, the foolproof plan. If you are breathing, God has a plan for your life. If you are breathing, God's not done with you yet. 
And so we live with that urgency in mind that, that we've been placed on this earth for a reason. And we're not going to allow fear to stop us from stepping into God's future. A little bit of a theme verse, a theme prayer that we've had through this series is from Psalm 39. And let's, let's read this together. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. See, the, the psalmist knew that if he would live with the end in mind, it would change how he lived in the present. You know, David talks about it here in the psalm, but Solomon also talks about something similar in Ecclesiastes. He says, a wise person, everybody say wise person. A wise person thinks about death, thinks a lot about death. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. If you want to be wise, you think a lot about death. Why? Not because you're morbid, but because it gives you perspective. And that perspective allows us to rearrange our lives with the priorities that matter. And that was, that was kind of what we focused on last week. And we talked about uh, kind of the big rocks and the small, gra- the small rocks and the gravel and how do we uh, prioritize our lives. You know, a lot of us spend time on the on urgent things, whether important or not important. We spend a lot of time in quadrant one and three, the things that require immediate attention. Some of us are spending a lot of time on quadrant four, Netflix, video games, scrolling on the phone. But everything in your life that is going to leave a legacy is found in quadrant number two. The most important things in life are rarely urgent. When you're face-to-face with death, those things become more, far more urgent. You know, if you think about if you had 30 days to live, all of a sudden your, your focus would go from all those other quadrants to quadrant two. And I think what you'll find in quadrant two, if you took an inventory of your life last week, when you start listing things in quadrant two, what you'll find is a list of names. Quadrant two is typically people. Our investment in the people we care about is the only legacy that has the power to endure beyond our lifetime. Everything else will cease when you cease. But people are our greatest legacy. If you had 30 days to live, your people would become incredibly important. You would not waste your time on people that don't have your best in mind. Am I right? If you had 30 days to live... You wouldn't waste your time with people that aren't for you, that aren't with you, that aren't core to what God's calling you to. You know, there's an old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, how's it go? You don't know it? Go together. Let's say it again. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's a really nice saying. Why can't we have it both ways? Can I go fast and far? There's a, there's a company in, uh, in L.A., a fitness company, 
And their slogan is this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to do both, go tribe. I love that. See, the whole marketing campaign is this. Uh, You can't go fast alone, but you will go faster if you have people beside you that have the same goals as you have. And you will go farther. You You don't have to choose between going faster or farther. You can actually do both. Surround yourself with like-minded people. Find a tribe. You will get to your goals faster if you have a tribe. Seth Godin uh, wrote a book called Tribes, and he, and, he, and he defines a tribe as this. A tribe is a group of people connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. Connected to one another, connected to a leader, and connected to an idea. And I can tell you probably what your future is going to look like based on the people you surround yourself with. There's two ways that you you can know what your future is going to look like. One, the choices that you make, and we've talked for the last few weeks on the choices that we're making. But one of the most important things we haven't talked about yet is the future, your future is determined by the people that you surround yourself with. And the best way to identify where you're going is to identify who you're going with. You might say, I, I want to be more hopeful in my life. But if you surround yourself with pessimistic people, guess what's going to happen to you? I want to be more, I want to have more faith. But, it, but, it, but if you surround yourself with people that are adverse to taking risks, do you think that you're going to take risks? We asked the question in the series, what kind of life do you want to live? And when you answer that question, you have to look around at the next circle around you and say, am I surrounded by people that answered that question the same way that I did? And so if you want to be a part of a tribe, there's, there's, I think there's three things that are involved in, in kind of this tribe mentality. Everybody say, commit. You got to Commit. And if you're joining Driven, if you're joining Go Tribe, you're going to commit to a goal and you're going to commit to a group of people. You're probably going to commit to an instructor that's going to lead you. You know, we're part of this tribe at SunWest. Uh, we're Jesus followers. Or Jesus is our ultimate leader. We commit to Jesus. That's what our worship was about. It was about committing to Jesus. That's what communion was about. Putting Jesus in the center. We commit to him. But it's also about committing to one another. You commit to your tribe. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament about commitment and King David, who wrote that psalm that we just read about the brevity of life and the importance of keeping that in mind, there's lots of material in the Old Testament on the life of David. And here's an important part of David's story. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. So Jonathan and David come together and they have a pact. You know, when I have a pact with somebody, I, you know, I shake their hand. Uh, but in this time, I guess you just took off your clothes. That was, uh, that's, how you, that's how you sealed the pact. Packed? Yeah? Take off your clothes? Okay. Um, I don't know if that was like blackmail, like I've seen you naked, you've seen me naked, okay, we won't tell anybody. We're committed to this. 
But they commit to each other. Why? Because Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And as you follow the story, and it's a long story, we won't, we won't get into it, but, but this becomes so pronounced in the story because David was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the current king. Remember this, you know, that story about David and Goliath? Probably many of you know. After the point of David and Goliath, where David killed Goliath, David's fame just grew. People started singing songs about him, talking about him, how great David was. This made Saul very insecure. In fact, there's this dramatic stretch of chapters in 1 Samuel where, where Saul is trying to kill David. He's so insecure, and he feels like his throne is being threatened by David, and so he chases David all around the countryside, and David is hiding in the wilderness, hiding in caves. Saul did not see the future the same way David did. The amazing thing about David, which we'll come back to in a minute, was was that David had multiple opportunities in this story to kill Saul, but he did not once take that opportunity, even though he knew that God had called him to be king. Jonathan, on the other hand, was the rightful heir to the throne. Right? Jonathan was Saul's son. And so you have Saul, who wants to kill David, who's threatened by David. And then you have Jonathan, who's the rightful heir to the throne, but who loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan did everything he could do to love David, to protect David, to ensure that David stepped into the destiny that God had called him to. And check this out. I hope you see the significance here. At his own expense. Jonathan knew the future was willing to sacrifice in his own life for the the benefit of David and obviously the benefit of all of Israel. He was willing to do what Saul was not willing to do. He was willing to give up his throne for David. Any of you guys canoed? I hate canoeing. You know, it's, all, it's beautiful and all, but I, I have such bad memories of canoeing because I was a camp counselor for like a decade. And I, there was kids, especially junior camp. So you got like these grade, you know, three, four, five kids that, you know, you throw a life jacket on them and you send them in a boat with a bunch of paddles and you expect that they're going to find their way around. And I remember driving a motorboat because uh, I was running the ski program in high school at the camp I was uh, counseling at during the summer. And I would just dread the junior week of camp because I would honestly, I wouldn't spend the week driving because uh, they didn't know how to ski yet, right? So, you know, as, as the boat driver, what I would do is I would go around the lake and rescue all of these junior counselor or campers uh, from the weeds when they got blown all over uh, the lake. And I spent my days doing that. I would just drag them around on the motorboat. To make it worse, we had a really old camp boat, and there was one week in particular where it broke down three times during the junior week of camp. I was out in the middle of the lake rescuing these, you know, eight, nine-year-old kids in their canoes, and then my motorboat would break down, and we'd have paddles in the motorboat and the canoe, uh, and I have these eight-year-old kids that had to paddle this big motorboat across the lake uh, to get back to shore. 
And so I became very familiar with what was helpful paddling and what was unhelpful paddling. And I experienced very little that was helpful in those weeks. Here's unhelpful paddling. So I'd be up there and I'd be rowing this motorboat trying to get it back to, to shore. And these kids, they would be going the opposite direction on the other side of the boat. You know what happens when you do that. This happens. Right, you go in circles. Right, you see that? So th th this is a picture, I believe, of what happens when you have Saul's in your life. You have a direction that you want to go in your life. And you have someone that's in the boat with you, in your life with you, that is paddling on the other side in the opposite direction, and you're spinning. Some of you have souls in your life that they just want you to stay the same. They don't want you to discover what you were created for. Because you know what that means is if you discover what you're created for, that means that might change your relationship. And they're, they've kind of made this fortress of the safety and comfort and security and predictability. And you staying the same is really important for this boat to just stay where it is. And you know where God's calling you, but you get frustrated because you feel like you're just spinning in circles. Saul's oppose you. They might... They might pretend to be your friend. But if they're not for you, then they shouldn't be in the boat with you. If they don't see the same future that you see, then you need to consider whether or not they're the right companion in the canoe with you. Saul's view you as a threat. David had spears hurled at him. And I think... Some of you have gotten rid of Saul's in your life. You think you've gotten rid of them, but you ha actually haven't forgiven them. And I want to talk a little bit about forgiveness. I could spend a whole um, sermon on forgiveness. And I was thinking about this in the worship set because we sang, if grace was an ocean, we're all sinking. And this image of this deep, deep, vast expanse of God's love and grace for us. You know, Paul in Ephesians talks about that in, his, in a prayer, and he he mentions the, how deep and wide and high and far is the love of God. Have you ever di dove really, really deep? I got one other camp story, I guess, this morning. One time I, I dropped keys in the bottom of, a, of the lake, and in the middle of the lake. And uh, I, think, I think they were the boat keys. The boat keys were on them. I mean, they weren't doing much good anyways because the boat wasn't working. But I remember in that, I had a split second to decide if I was going to go because this was the moment that was going to be most easy to find them because I knew exactly where they were, right? So a few seconds after they dropped, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get them. I, I dove, and I remember chasing, swimming down. I remember swimming down, and it, was, and it gets dark and cold, and you're going down and down and down. Uh, and I hadn't had experience in uh, deep diving. I think that's the deepest I've ever dove. Uh, and when I, and I, I remember seeing them there at the bottom, and I, and I grabbed them, and as I was grabbing them, my eardrums went, and I heard the sucking sound, all the water that was coming into my ears. 
And then uh, everything got, uh, everything, I got dizzy and I lost all sense of balance because that's in your ears, right? And everything was spinning. Uh, and I remember uh, coming out of the water and I had to get dragged out of the water because I couldn't even figure out which way was up. Uh, and they took me to the hospital and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but when you are diving, apparently it's important to you, for you to release air as you're diving. Right? If you intend to dive into the deep love and grace of God and dive into the life that he's calling you into, you need to release not air but bitterness. You need to learn to forgive. Because if you can't forgive, there's going to be a limit to the life that you're going to be able to live. And, and Jesus talked lots about this. That to the measure that you forgive is the measure that you are forgiven. The measure that you're willing to release is the, the measure that you will experience that depth of life and love that Jesus wants to give you. So some of you maybe, you've thrown, you've, you've thrown Saul out of the boat, but you haven't forgiven him, and so it's just like he's sitting right there. You're still spinning. Because you're still, you're still battling that person in your mind. You still can't move ahead because you haven't dealt with the unforgiveness. And there's this. This is not helpful. You know, kids just, they're copying you. They're in the back. They're just doing whatever you do. And, and you're, try, you're trying to tell them, it's like, no, row on that side of the boat. Because uh, I know you're trying to help me, and you're doing exactly what I'm doing. But if you only do exactly what I'm doing, what happens? You don't spin, but you do like a big, wide circle, right? You know, I would, I would refer to this as the yes people in your life. You think they're with you. You think they're for you. But they're actually not helping you. They just want, they're just telling you what you want to hear. They're in the boat with you. They're copying you. They're an echo. Whatever you say, they say. They don't want to hurt your feelings. And those people feel really good. And they're, they're a lot harder to identify than the Saul's in your life uh, because they make you feel good. And they're copying me. They agree with me. They, you know, they love me. But what you'll find is when you surround yourself with people that just do everything the way that you do it, say everything that you want them to say, think everything the way you want them to think it, you are going to lose course. It might not be the spin that happens when Saul's in your life, but it's, it's going to take you, it's going to derail you. And little bit by little bit, you are not going to get where you need to go. Why? Because the Jonathans in our life, you know, the reason why Paddling on a different side of the boat is important is because it's, it's balancing the force on the opposite side. And the real Jonathans in our lives, there are times where they're going to pedal backwards on the other side of the boat. There are times where they're going to slightly come to our side and align with us. And then there's times where they're, they're going to go punch for punch, paddle for paddle on the other side of the canoe. But you can identify the Jonathans in your life. Why? Because they're going in the same direction as you. They have the same end in mind. And when you have a tribe and you commit to a group of people that have the same end in mind, then you can move your life forward in the direction that God's calling you to go. The Jonathans will know when to turn the ship, when to agree with you, when to push back. Because he sees the same destination as you do.
And uh, many of you guys know I'm a big basketball fan. In, in the 2014-2015 NBA Finals, you had two teams, Golden State Warriors, Cleveland Cavaliers. Any Warriors fans? That's right, we're in Canada. Any, uh, any Cavalier fans? That's right. That's good. Any Raptor fans? Okay, there we go. Uh, how about any Flames fans? Okay, well, there you go. So 2014-15 NBA Finals, you had Golden State. It's Steph Curry, who's a 2014-2015 MVP, against LeBron James and his Cavaliers, 2000, uh, who, who had won numerous MVPs. And obviously one of these two teams would win. And whichever one of these two teams, uh, one of those players who are uh, like once-in-a-lifetime type of players, Steph Curry, best, best shooter in NBA history, LeBron James, arguably one of the best players in all of NBA history. So you have these iconic players, their teams going head-to-head, and whichever team won would probably dictate whichever member, whichever, whether it was LeBron or Steph, would get the finals MVP, which was a, an award given at the end of the playoffs. But you know who the finals MVP was in the 2014-15 NBA Finals? after the Golden State Warriors won their first championship, was Andre Ugdala. Who? What, what was that, Esther? Who? Everybody say who. Who's that? Nobody knows who that is. Maybe if you follow basketball, you know who that is. But you guys have never heard of him. He was referred to as the sixth man. You know, every year there's a sixth man award. I don't understand the award. It's kind of like the, the best of the worst. You know, it's the guys that come in off the bench. The first guy off the bench. So Andre Iguodala wasn't even a he wasn't even a starter. He was the sixth man on the team. But what's interesting about a sixth man is the sixth man is somebody that probably could have been the star in their own team, but they've actually taken a different type of role in order to ensure that the team they're a part of has success. It would be easy to say, you know, Steph Curry or LeBron James were the MVP, but what I love about that decision was there was a recognition that there was a guy on that team that took a sacrificial role to, to make sure that that team, uh, that their team was able to get as far as they could possibly get. And he got an individual award for a self-sacrificing kind of role on a team. I love it. Jonathans are six mans in our lives. People that are willing to put their own personal pride aside because they believe in the future that God's calling you to and they're able to get behind you. We need to commit to the life that God is calling us to and commit to a tribe that's going in the same direction and find the Jonathans in our life to be in the boat with us. And then we need to invite. Everybody say invite. I think this is what happens when we're part of a tribe. Uh, You know, if there's anybody that knew how to put a tribe together, it was Jesus. In John chapter 1, we see John the Baptist, who had a ministry, who had a following, who had people that were all behind him. And it said, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples as Jesus walked by. John looked at him, declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples, whose disciples were they? John's. Heard this, they what? They followed Jesus. 
You see, right here, John had a whole bunch of guys who were in a six-man role that, you know, John, we believe in you. John, we're behind you. John, we believe in the future that you see that God's calling you to proclaim and declare. But John himself was a six-man to Jesus. The whole point of John's ministry was to point people to Jesus. He was a support role. And so when John's disciples saw Jesus, John says, you know, I don't think John was mad about it. He's like, this is the whole purpose of why I'm here. There's the point. There's the direction that we're going. This is what I've been proclaiming all along. Follow him. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? So we're back to that question again. Jesus is asking you, what do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to a place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So what happens? Andrew sees Jesus, recognizes him as the Messiah, and then does what? Invites. It's fascinating phenomenon. If, if you watch as the, the movement of Jesus grows in the Gospels, people experience Jesus and then they go and then they invite. They experience Jesus and they go and they invite. This building a movement, a tribe. So Andrew goes, tells his brother Simon. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Ah, I kind of feel bad for Andrew. It's like, I saw him first. Jesus, where's, what's my nickname? Oh, I got a nickname for you. You're going to be called Peter's brother. I wonder if Andrew cared. I wonder if Andrew's mentality was, I found Jesus. Okay, I just, you know, I experienced this really great thing. I just want to make sure that, you know, it's, I can get as much of it as I can. I don't want to share it with anybody else. No, Andrew invites his brother. His brother actually gets a prominent position following Jesus. Gets a new nickname, The Rock. Do we envy what God does in someone else's life? Because if we do, then it's probably an indication that we're more of a Saul than a Jonathan. Or do we celebrate with them what God is doing in their life? Every time someone found life in Jesus in the gospel, there was an invitation. And we see this again. Philip went to look for Nathaniel. Philip saw Jesus, went to look for Nathaniel. We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus and the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, it's like a saying, can anything good come from Shaughnessy? Actually, just kidding. I know some of you are from Shaughnessy. Come see for yourself, Philip replied. Come see for yourself. As they approached Jesus, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Again, if I was Philip, I was like, come on, Jesus. I'm the one who got Nathaniel. I have 
I have like 90% integrity. Do you have something to say good to me? But again, Philip isn't like looking to keep this to himself. He's looking to invite other people in. Jesus doesn't even talk about Philip. Philip didn't care. Andrew didn't care. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done in your life that you had to share it and invite other people to it? It's going to change your life. You know, I think of that phrase, I think of Chris King, our weekend experience pastor. That's his favorite phrase, this is going to change your life. And I, I tell him, I was like, everything can change my life. You know, there's got to be, you know, Chick-fil-A, which was in the Calgary airport. I would have never experienced Chick-fil-A, but Chris King told me it would change my life. <laughs> and so we drove as a staff one, one day all the way up to the Calgary airport to eat Chick-fil-A. Uh, and it was good, but... I'm not sure it changed my life. <laughs> Apparently enough, people didn't think it would change their life because it's, uh, it's not, no longer there. But invite. You know, Chris is on a perfect job with the Billy Graham Association because he's an evangelist. Like, come on, this is going to change your life. If you had 30 days to live, you wouldn't be stuck on your own fame. You wouldn't be stuck hoarding things to yourself. You would be talking about the most important things in your life. Why do we talk about sports or restaurants or chicken filet more than we talk about Jesus? Why are we more passionate about sharing things that don't ultimately matter with people than the one thing that matters more than anything else? Confession, I probably talk about Toronto Raptors more than I talk about Jesus. Why? A lot of us forget what Andrew, Simon, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel all knew, that the human spirit is longing for a connection with God. And so when we're looking for a tribe, we don't just find our tribe here. Our tribe is also people out there that aren't a part of it yet. If Jesus has given you hope, share that hope. If Jesus has given you meaning, share that meaning. If Jesus has given you life, then share that life. If you are growing in your faith here at SunWest, don't keep it to yourself. Invite people. You know, we're experiencing great momentum and growth right now, but I've heard a couple of comments even in the last few months of, you know, it's getting a little too big. Really? If we have the most important message in the history of the world, don't we want it to be bigger? Don't we want to be generous? And the last thing is build. I'm going to invite the, the band up. Can you say build? Commit to Jesus. Commit to a group of people. Invite people to be a part. And invite people that want to go in the same direction as you to be a part of your tribe. And then we work at building building up what God has deposited in us. You know, 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, there's a, there's a passage there. And Peter talks about that we are all little stones. He says, we're all little stones, which is ironic because Peter's name, nickname was The Rock, right? So we're all little stones. We're all little rocks. And together, he says that God is building us into a spiritual house. And then he says, so that, 
that the people were, that were not your people are now your people. The people that didn't know mercy now know mercy. And we often think that we can just do life alone, that we don't have to do it together. But then we're not building the house that God intended us to build, which was all of us, little rocks, little stones, together building a house so that people who are looking for a home can find a home. We're building, being built in a spiritual household so that people that are searching for meaning can find meaning, who are searching for life can find life, that are searching for family can find, find family, that want to go somewhere with their life know that this is the boat that people can jump into, that they can get where they feel like they're being called to go. I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you're able. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has a phenomenal quote, and he talks about, he basically warns us, he says, do not let your, do not love the idea of community more than you love the community. I think about that quote all the time. Do not let your love, do not love the idea of community more than you love the community. Some of us love the idea of community. But then we realize how comfortable it is to actually get in a canoe and share it with somebody else. Some of you maybe even came to Sun West because you liked the idea of a community somewhere else and didn't experience the community you had there. And then you came here, and now you're realizing that, you know, there's messed up people here too. No matter what boat you get into, there's going to be messed up people. There's going to be people that are rowing, and sometimes they feel like they're fighting against you. But the, but the question isn't whether it's comfortable. The question isn't whether it's safe. Uh, the question is, where are we going? And if we can all agree on where we're going, then we can endure the discomfort of sharing a boat together. And I think when we commit to each other, and we invite other people in, and we commit to building something together, then we have what we call a tribe. And Jesus started with a small tribe 2,000 years ago that has grown into a worldwide movement that we're a part of today. And so we continue to invite other people into the journey that God has us on. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you called us. Just like you called Simon and Andrew and Philip and Nathan, Lord, you called us. Lord, forgive us when we don't forgive others. Would you give us the capacity to forgive others? Lord, would you give us the insight to identify souls in our life that are actually causing us to spin? Would you give us wisdom and strategy for how to respond to those difficult relationships? Would you give people courage, Lord, in this room that need to get out of a toxic relationship that is actually enabling them from moving forward? Lord, would you give us eyes to see the yes people in our lives that are just telling us what we want to hear but actually aren't correcting us when we need to be corrected? And Lord, would you give us the eyes to see the Jonathans in our lives that you are calling us to invite into the boat. That see the future the way that you see it. That are willing to, to push back. That are willing to agree. That are willing to encourage. That are willing to actually 
lay down their own agendas for to bless. Lord, would you see the people that we're called to be Jonathan's towards, that we would lay down our own agendas to bless. Lord, ultimately, we're all like John the Baptist, Lord. We were all called to actually point people to you. Forgive us when we get in the way. Lord, this is all about you. It's all about you and the life that you give because of the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. Amen. I invite our uh, prayer teams forward. If you like prayer for anything, uh, we would invite you forward to take advantage of just sharing and coming maybe into the boat just for a minute with somebody else and saying, would you encourage me in this? Would you pray for me in this? This is uh, something that's going on in my life and I, uh, I don't want to do this alone. And this is a great opportunity just to, to share that burden with someone else. Um, just a couple of reminders. We have deep stream tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll have an extended time of worship and prayer together. Uh, I do also want to highlight something that I believe is incredibly important that you might not feel as urgent. And I think it belongs in that second box. Uh, you know, every semester we're running the, what we call hearing God. And we talk about following God in the direction that God's calling you to. And I, and I would just ask you the question, how do you do that if you don't know where God is calling you to? You know, our hope is that everyone at SunWest would be trained and equipped to actually listen to the God's voice themselves and respond in obedience to God's voice. You know, it's not responding in obedience to me or somebody else what we say, but it's ultimately re- responding in obedience to the one we're following who is Jesus. And on February 10th to March 10th, there's five Sundays that we're running that Hearing God class. Uh, and we've tried to make it accessible for the whole family because we believe it's that important uh, to train as many people as we can to hear God's voice uh, so we can follow him in the boat uh, together where he's calling us. So I'd encourage you to put that uh, onto your calendar and register off the website. Let's pray. I invite you to close your eyes and even open your hands in a, it's a posture of kind of receiving what the Lord has for you. If you had 30 days to live, what would you start doing? What would you stop doing? What bitterness and unforgiveness maybe are you hanging on to that you would realize that this has taken too much of my life away already? Who are the relationships that you would want beside you in those moments? And are they different than the relationships that you're surrounding yourself with now? Father, Thank you for the reminder in your scriptures that life is brief. For us to live with a sense of urgency today, but with hate, with faith and hope that goes for eternity. Lord, I thank you that the choices we make in this life matter. Lord, I pray for those in this room that don't feel like they have Jonathans in their life. Lord, that you would Move them from a posture of lack that says, where are the Jonathans in my life, to a posture of abundance that says, who can I be a Jonathan to in my life? I think there's some here that you have a bit of a, what I would call poverty spirit where, it's, where, where you're, you're wondering where the Jonathans are, but maybe God is saying, 
Uh, I want you to be a Jonathan. So Lord, would you show us who to encourage, who to get behind, who to call out the gold, and who to, who to support and bless. And Lord, as we do that, and as we point people towards you, uh, may we find Jonathan's as well. Thank you for this, Jesus. All God's people said, amen. We have starting point week four happening right away. Uh, have a great week. Uh, we'll see you tonight, uh, Deep Stream, 6 o'clock.